Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. (laughs) Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? (laughs) And we are underway. Welcome to another episode of the Action Network Podcast NFL Edition. We are going to be talking about the fantasy football running back one tier. So those top 12 running backs, those guys that you're probably thinking of taking with your first round pick, your second round pick. Here to break it down with me, none other than my guys from the Action Network, Mr. Sean Corner, the odds maker, and Mr. Ian Harditz. Sean, Ian, how are you guys doing? What's up, Chris? Ready to talk some running backs, man. Uh, we got the Hall of Fame game coming up. Football is finally back in the air, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, Sean, I know you are uh, You're going to be managing our preseason projections, so I know you're looking forward to, to kind of jumping headfirst into projecting fifth stringers for 11 different games over the span of three days coming up starting next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I've been, um, you know, getting antsy, uh, needing to project some, you know, upcoming games and we get one this week. Uh, you know, despite it being just, you know, the Hall of Fame game, I just love it. I love this time of year getting back in the swing of things and yeah, ready to talk about some running backs today. Absolutely. And for you guys listening out there, if you want to see more of our rankings, uh, Sean, myself, and Matthew Friedman, who is on vacation right now, uh, will be back on the pod soon. Uh, our rankings are up on the Action Network at actionnetwork.com. If you are an Edge subscriber, you can access all those. You can access all of our projections with our brand new fantasy football tool, uh, customized cheat sheet for your league settings. So be sure to check that out. And Ian, as he talks about all his thoughts on these backs, uh, be sure to check out him and his author page. Again, actionnetwork.com, Ian Harditz, ton of content out every day. One of the hardest working people uh, in this industry. So just wanted to get that out off the top. Let's jump right in because we're going to talk about, you know, our overall approach. We're going to talk about backs that were higher on, uh, lower on than the rest of the industry. And we're going to kind of go through each of these top 12, who, by the way, according to the Fantasy Pros half point PPR rankings, average draft position, excuse me, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson uh, are the top five, followed by Le'Veon Bell, now on the New York Jets, Melvin Gordon, 
uh, holding out right now, number seven. James Conner of the Steelers, number eight. Joe Mixon for Cincinnati, number nine. Then Todd Gurley, of course, with those injury concerns at number 10. Nick Chubb, the second year back for Cleveland at number 11. And Dalvin Cook, Vikings third year man at number 12. Sean, I'm going to start with you. Overall thoughts and approach to the running back position for fantasy football in 2019. So, yeah, I mean, I consider the running back position obviously the most critical um, for fantasy football. Um, It's definitely the most volatile position. One of the toughest to predict every year just because of that volatility. You know, it's the position that it's the most prone to injury, most prone to, you know, depth chart changes. I mean, especially this year, I like waiting at running back. Um, obviously if you have one of the top five picks you're taking one of the stud backs Um, I think if if I were to choose my draft position I'd probably be in the top four this year so I I think it's important to get a stud running back other than that you know I'm trying to load up on uh, wide receiver early on uh, just because of my ability to kind of just stash I I usually carry um, way more running backs than your average fantasy user Um, I usually just kind of hoard you know the, the guys that have insane upside if if the starter gets hurt or their teammate gets hurt, uh, where they're going to be thrusted up to my, uh, you know, RB2 type range in my weekly ranking. So um, I'm really good and confident in my ability to kind of get value at running back late. So it's, it's a position I take seriously. I just think that it's, it's important to kind of load up at other positions early on just because they're more predictable. Okay. And Ian, I'm going to kick it to you in a second, but Sean, I just wanted to kind of follow up with um, two things. Number one, you have, you know, your upside ratings uh, out for running backs on actionnetwork.com slash NFL right now. And second, you know, Last season, I think when we did these podcasts, you know, you were a lot more bullish on on taking running backs earlier and we're trying to avoid kind of that second tier, that frozen pond tier for the listeners that have been with us for a while. So um, just talk a little bit about those upside ratings and and how they play into kind of, um, you know, why you are kind of waiting a little bit uh, more in in 2019. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I was a little bit different with my approach last year. Um, As you knew, I I hated the – running back two tier last year. I'm trying to remember, but it was guys like Jordan Howard, Rashad Penny, Ronald Jones, you know, guys like that. Oh, Alex Collins was another guy, Kenny on Drake. I mean, I just thought it was a disaster. So I said, you need to get two stud running backs early. There's, there's no option other than that. Uh, but this year I happen to like the RB two range. I mean, you have, um, well, I mean, I'll get to him later. I think Damian Williams might be a frozen pond guy, but you have carry on Johnson, Aaron Jones, Derek Henry, Marlon Mack, you know, Devontae Freeman. Uh, there, there's just a lot of guys I like in that range. So I'm more willing to kind of wait and kind of, t- you know, take a stab at those guys later round three or round four. Um, so, yeah. And then you mentioned my running back upside article. I, I basically, what I did was I went through all 32 teams in my weekly projection model against an average opponent. And I, I basically, um, you know, simulated if the starting running back is ruled out or misses a game, um, you know, how the backfield will shape up. And I, I think it's important to kind of have that layer of, you know, running back rankings where um, it, it's kind of hard to um, convey this and just, you know, raw rankings or projections because, you know, running back rankings especially are so multidimensional. Um, there, there's a little bit more than meets the eye. So I think having kind of, the, you know, the awareness of which running backs will benefit from the starting running back being out those are the guys I typically like to stash later on because they have the highest upside. Uh, I did a whole article on uh, all 32 teams there. Ian, any ways in which your approach at the running back position, especially with these top 12 guys, uh, differs in any way uh, from Sean's? 
No, I think I'm with Sean most of the way here. I agree. It's kind of the big five backs, and that includes David Johnson. Uh, you know, we've been hearing a lot of the big four, but man, you want you want to be as involved uh, with that Arizona offense as I think you uh, as, as I think you could possibly be because Tyler. <laughs> assuming Kingsbury can just get David Johnson's uh, receiving workload back to just average for him, I mean, he's going to put up numbers again. We saw him last year in the worst case imaginable scenario, still be the RB nine in a PPR scoring. So, um, all about those big five, and then yeah, if I can't get and a lot of this is from just best ball drafts I've been doing this offseason. But typically, if I can't get one of those big five, I just wait until round three, get one of those Fournette, Aaron Jones, Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs type guys who can be a featured back under the right circumstances. And then even if that doesn't work out, I'm going a little bit, maybe another round or two. And give me both Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Because if one of those guys gets hurt, the other one's going to ball out. And they might Honestly, I think both these guys have a chance of returning value, even if they both stay healthy the whole year, because I don't think people remember really how involved Mike Davis was in that offense last year. And he's now in Chicago, so we'll see if another receiving back potentially emerges there. But there is a lot of talent kind of in the three to five round range uh, with these running backs. I don't think was there last year. So, yeah, give me, you know, at least guys that have the three down skill set, because even if their role to start the season isn't ideal, uh, you know that if things break a certain way, you're then going to have, you know, potential RB1. I think you really hit on it with that last thing you said, Ian. There's a lot of value in that running back, you know, in those rounds three to five, because that's kind of my approach too. It's, yeah, if I get a top three, top four guy, I, I almost think Zeke, just because of the holdout, um, and we'll talk more about that, but just because of that, might his floor might be a little too low for me to really kind of go after him at this point. Um, but, you know, you know that, those McCaffreys, those Barclays, those guys, if I, if I can't get one of them, I'm happy going receiver. I'm happy going with a receiver in the second round, um, as well, or even, you know, if I can get Kelsey or, or a stud tight end toward the back of that second round, maybe even a little bit before their average draft position, I'm fine with that because I think those top three stud tight ends, uh, there's a huge drop-off after them. So starting around three, if I can get, yeah, Josh Jacobs and Freeman and Mack and two, a combination of two of those guys as my top two running backs, I've kind of mitigated some of the risk that comes with taking a running back in those first couple of rounds because they miss about twice as many games as a receiver or a tight end. Um, so you kind of mitigate that risk and you're still getting that same RB1 upside. So I'm with you guys there. Sean, I'm going to kick it back to you. One running back you're much higher on in 2019. And obviously we'll get into, you know, all of the backs in a, in a minute, but just one guy you own a lot more and you're higher on in 2019. And then one guy you're a lot lower on and then don't really want to own any of in 2019 and why. The guy I'm higher on in the industry is definitely Latavius Murray. He was my top guy in my upside um, rankings article I just mentioned. Um, he's the kind of guy where um, it's a lot, it reminds me a lot like Derrick Henry and Tevin Coleman last year, where they kind of already have some, or they, they had pretty good fantasy value entering the season. Uh, but, you know, they just have so much upside if their counterpart were to miss time. Um, and that's Latavius Murray. Obviously, he's not going to leapfrog Alvin Kamara at any point in the season. Um, but, you know, if Kamara were to miss time, he would be a low-end RB1. Um, so right off the bat, he has insane upside, and you can get him – I think he's RB36 right now. Um, but just, you know, even if Kamara is healthy for all 16 games, uh, Latavius Murray's going to inherit maybe not the entire Mark Ingram role, but maybe 80% of it. Um, so he's going to be pretty consistent RB3 flex option um, for you to have. So just, just having a guy like that with that – uh, that much upside baked in and you still get useful fantasy value from him anyways um, is the type of running back I like to target heavily um, going into the season. So he's my guy. And, I, you know, I've been kind of worried the Saints were, uh, you know, they were talking to Theo Riddick and Alfred Morris. And I was starting to get concerned about my Latavius Murray stock, but um, they brought in Rob Kelly and uh, put Buck Allen on the IR. So I'm hoping that's all they were trying to do. 
and not trying to get another veteran back to kind of um, share the load, uh, you know, behind Kamara with Murray. So uh, I've been watching that very closely because I have a lot of stock in uh, Murray right now. Um, and then the guy I've been avoiding, I kind of alluded to earlier, uh, is Damian Williams. I don't really have anything bad to say about him. He just kind of has that frozen pond vibe that I talked about all last year. Um, I think, you know, he was absolutely amazing in that four-game stretch when he took over uh, for the starting running back for the Chiefs. And I think that's, you know, that's what people are remembering him for. And that's, I, I think that's his ceiling. You know, if he stays healthy all year in that role, he's, he's going to smash his value. But there's just too much downside um, with him. Uh, especially spending that much draft capital that I don't like taking on that much downside early in the draft. So, you know, while I do like him, I just rather have someone else take on that risk and I'll, I'll take a safer play elsewhere. But, you know, with guys like uh, Carlos Hyde and even rookie Darwin Thompson, um, you know, they can threaten his role uh, early in the season and he's already missing practice right now with a hamstring injury. So he's not off to a great start. So, you know, his ADP of RB uh, 13 is just a little too rich for me with, with the baked in downside for him. You know, again, for everyone out there, a lot of the risk that comes with, with these backs early on is not as much role in, in many cases, especially when we're talking about guys in, the, in, the, in that top 12. It's just injury risk. I mean, there's certain guys that have just proven more durable than others. You know, Christian McCaffrey played almost every snap last year, was able to stay on the field. Saquon Barkley stayed on the field all 16. Ezekiel Elliott, suspensions have been an issue. But besides that, been able to stay on the field. Williams already nicked up. Uh, I, I do see your point there. Uh, Sean, Ian, how about you? One guy you're higher on, one guy you're lower on for 2019 at the running back position. So I would have had the same answer a week ago. Let me start with that. But Austin Eckler, guys, he is a legit, very good running back. He's been in the league two years now. He's number three in yards per rush, number three in yards per target, number two in yards per touch. I mean, I know those can get inflated a little bit when you have these backups that don't get as many touches per game. But, I mean, if you just watch the film of him playing, like he is a legitimately really good player. They use him as a wide receiver. He's out there making contested catches. Every time he scores a touchdown, he has an awesome air guitar celebration. I mean, how can you not love this guy? And yet, he's still being drafted outside the top 30, even with all this Melvin Gordon stuff going on, because of something named Justin Jackson? We're going to let this guy ruin this year's version of James Conner? I mean, people, I think, they assume Eckler's just like small scat back for some reason. He's five foot nine, 195 pounds. Jackson's six feet tall, 200 pounds. I mean, he's kind of slimmer back out of the two. And we had three games last season without Gordon in the lineup, and we saw Eckler play 68% snaps, 78% snaps, and 95% of the snaps. So... Yeah, sure, will it be like a little bit of a two-back committee? Maybe, but it could still easily be a 70-30 split between these guys, and that would have Eckler as one of the top 12 to 15 backs in the league as far as opportunity is concerned. So really does seem like Gordon's uh, in more of a position to miss games than Zeke just based on recent reports, and I think Eckler is by far the guy you want to own in that Chargers backfield. And the running back I'm lower on is David Montgomery out of Chicago. I'm not saying he can't be a good running back in time, but he's going as the RB21 right now, and that just seems pretty crazy to me with all the risk we still have here. Mike Davis is on that roster now. We'll see how involved he is. I mean, it was only last season that we saw Mike Davis pretty much uh, delegate another high-round draft pick to the bench and Rashad Penny, so wouldn't it be the first time you know he was able to uh, out, outperform preseason expectations? And Tariq Cohen's still there. Why is Tariq Cohen going seven spots below David Montgomery? Uh, he just led the Bears uh, in receptions last year. It was 71, had 99 carries. I mean, I can see how it goes all together for how it might work out for David Montgomery without Jordan Howard and all that free opportunity. 
But at the same time, I'd rather take Miles Sanders because you have a guy with similar kind of opportunity and depth chart risk. You got Carson Wentz in that Eagles offense instead of Mitch Trubisky in a Bears offense that, let's face it, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing if they kind of take a step back. I'm still not sure if uh, Mitch Trubisky is going to take a step forward or if he's just Midwest Blake Bortles. So we'll see how it works out. But I think there's an underrated low floor here for David Montgomery. Yeah, Montgomery is going way too. I don't know how I continuously see him, you know, in that like 45th overall ADP range going ahead of, you know, guys who are, Start, starters essentially for their team like Montgomery is in a committee right now it's I get it in best ball um if you're projecting him to kind of end the year better than he starts but you're you'll get no value there at, at that spot and also like what you said about Eckler because let's remember in 2015 Danny Woodhead in a similar type of Eckler role he finishes a top five fantasy running back that was with Melvin Gordon getting 184 carries that year. So a ton of upside for Eckler. I think there's a ton of upside for Jackson as well, but I don't think that cuts into Eckler's upside. Gordon is the guy really that, that's overvalued at this point in fantasy drafts, uh, in my opinion. Uh, for me, uh, a couple other guys I'll, I'll mention. Uh, first of all, a guy I'm really lower on is Darius Geis. Uh, he still goes within the top 30. He's RB28 in fantasy pros' half-point PPR ADP right now, and I just don't see how you take a guy that we've never seen play a, a snap uh, coming off a torn ACL uh, and then already dinged up in, in, in camp with, a, with, with, a, with another soft tissue injury in a three-back committee where he's not going to really catch the ball because he got Chris Thompson there. And then he's, the, the team has come out and straight up said they want to split the reps between Geis and Peterson. Uh, I think Geis should be kind of going in that RB40 range, um, kind of the same place Peterson is, um, but, but it's kind of too much of a projection f- forward in my opinion, where the only real out you leave yourself is him really just outperforming everyone and, and taking over that job and doing it really quickly and doing it before he suffers another injury. It's just, to me, it's just low likelihood that he returns value on that ADP. As for a, a guy I'm higher on, um, and, and I'll go with one kind of in this top uh, 24, but, but Josh Jacobs, uh, the rookie running back for the Oakland Raiders. Uh, most time I see him kind of at the end of that, the back end of that top 20 tier or, or just outside. Um, I have him a little closer to the top 12, uh, I think that the Raiders drafted him in the first round to kind of assume that Marshawn Lynch role. And that role was getting about 15 carries and, and three to four targets a game in those six games before Lynch went down. And, and I think John Gruden, you know, he's a pretty formulaic and predictable guy for the most part, uh, Nathan Peterman love aside. So I, I think he's going to really use Jacobs as a workhorse, especially because their kind of contingency plan at running back. Isaiah Crowell got injured, lost for the season in an offseason workout. So they essentially re-signed Doug Martin. And Martin was there while, uh, uh, you know, a Lynch coming straight off a year of retirement was getting huge workloads. So Jacobs is a pretty high floor, high ceiling investment. And I love these rookie guys because they're, they're, they're kind of fresh. They're young and fresh. You know, Jacobs didn't get too overused when, when he was playing in, in, in college. So love Jacobs. But let's get into the meat of this pod. And just for you guys out there, we will be doing a whole nother pod on the running backs outside of the top 12. So, you know, We'll do a whole pod on this with, with, with Sean and Ian, and then we're going to have a whole nother pod for you coming out a few days after that uh, on all the running backs um, from 13 on. But uh, who's the number one running back, Sean, in 2019 and why? Right now I'm going with Chalk with Saquon Barkley. Uh, I, I just think he's a generational talent. Um, he could score from anywhere on the field. Um, he's, he's able to overcome some inefficiencies of his teammates. But in all honesty, if you told me, you know, I'm just going to randomly give you one of these top four backs, I'd probably take it, maybe except for Zeke right now. Uh, but, you know, in, in a full PPR, you could definitely make a case for McCaffrey. I have him projected for 13 more receptions. Um, I, I do have Barkley beat in rushing yards. I have him getting roughly 200 more. So you can definitely make a case that McCaffrey has probably the higher upside in PPR. And Kamara, you know, I, I was talking about 
um, Latavius Murray earlier, but, you know, if it doesn't look like he's going to take over, um, you know, a decent amount of the Mark Ingram role, we saw, you know, Kamara in the first four games last year and Ingram was out uh, due to the suspension. He was the number one overall running back. So he has number one running back upside. Um, and then just, you know, Zeke, you can't really take him first right now because of the risk. But if he ends the holdout, he has running back one upside. So I'm just all about getting one of the top four picks and getting any one of these guys. But if I have the first pick right now, I'm going Barkley. Yeah, you, you mentioned Saquon Barkley, and he's he's the number one guy for me as well. I mean, you know, 385.8 PPR points, the most of any rookie running back since the 1970 merger, 16th best PPR running back season of all time, 294.8 standard points, also the third best rookie back season in 40, 50 years. So, I mean, you know, you can't go wrong with Barkley. Um, I have him projected for 248 carries, 1,100 20 yards, nine 9.2 scores on the ground, another 109 targets, 83 catches, 661 uh, receiving yards, and 3.5 receiving touchdowns in 15 games. I always dock running backs at least one game just because of the nature uh, of the position. So I never predict any running back for, for a full 16 or any player, um, really, because that's kind of unrealistic. Ian, just give us their top tier of running backs, because there's kind of a tier here. Sean kind of alluded to it. You got the top four. Then, then David Johnson's maybe in that fifth spot, which you alluded to. It's kind of that tier where you finally you start looking away from running backs and toward receiver um, in that first round. So give us your, your top tier of backs and, and tell me your rankings uh, of those top guys. Top tier of backs in this order are Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara, and David Johnson. I understand if you're a little more worried about Zeke, you know, you can drop him the fourth behind Kamara. But, I mean, if you have the number one overall pick in your fantasy draft, you really want to pick the guy that's going to spend more time next to Eli Manning than anyone else in the league this year? I mean, that's my whole issue because Saquon and McCaffrey, I think, are the only two players in the league that could realistically lead their offense in rushing and receiving. One of them's in a Carolina offense that's looking pretty good this year. I mean, as long as – I mean, the way Cam's been throwing the ball, uh, expecting them to be an above-average unit. And then we got the Giants, who look like the biggest joke in the league. They just lost the one wide receiver they had that defense needed to respect. And, I mean, yeah, it's cool that now they have no other choice to throw check down to Saquon Barkley. But, I mean, defenses, even more so than last year, are going to have to sell out like none other just to – hold Saquon Barkley and I don't think the same can be said for McCaffrey because he's a little bit more versatile I think and just their uses of him using him as a wide receiver and he's got the higher floor there I think less things go wrong with McCaffrey just based on how uh, absurd that target share is only Michael Thomas Jarvis Landry and OBJ along with McCaffrey have caught at least 170 passes in their first two seasons the guy is a legitimate like wide receiver one when it comes to their receiving workload and yeah he's a pretty good uh, rusher as well we saw we all saw the picture of him looking jacked in an off-season workout. So McCaffrey's here to shoulder the load, and uh, he's my number one RB. The way I respond to that is I'm with you in that I have no problem taking McCaffrey over Barkley because I think uh, Sean kind of said it. You know, you give me any random pick of these top four guys, maybe you could say uh, I might even put Johnson in that over Zeke just because of the downside. But, um, you know, there are, there's such little separating a lot of these guys. For people out there that are sweating their number one pick, don't like don't sweat your number one pick there's so many better ways that you can spend your time preparing for this fantasy season than lamenting over which of these guys are you going to take with your first round pick you're fine with any of them I do think Barkley has the higher ceiling because of Cam Newton's presence because Cam has averaged over seven rushing scores a year and if you're talking about absolute upside I mean you're essentially saying hey like if you know if everything goes right for either offense who could score more fantasy points and I think it's Barkley because Eli Manning isn't going to take any of his touchdowns um and I think I mean the floor it's pretty sky high too when you consider that all those reasons that yes, they are knocks on Barkley in terms of, you know, Manning in the offense, all those things were present last year, essentially. Yes, they had Beckham for, for part of the season, but um, they had a bad offensive line. They had Eli Manning out there, 
you know, checking it down all day. So I don't think much has changed in that regard. And all you're doing is losing receivers, which we know that when downfield guys uh, aren't as much of an option, that's when running back targets go up. Um, you know, if Eli or whoever's behind center for the Giants doesn't have Shepard for any period of time because of the thumb and they don't have Kate for the four games, that's just more likely that Barkley gets even more, um, more work. So uh, I, I still, I'm still riding with Barkley um, as my RB1, followed by McCaffrey, uh, Alvin Kamara, number three, and I still have Zeke, number four, but, but am considering dropping him uh, to number five below David uh, Johnson. But right around after that tier, that's when I'm looking at some wide receivers. But let's, uh, let's talk about these holdouts, these holdout situations, because we have Zeke holding out in Mexico, apparently wants to take full advantage of that. The Cowboys just signed Alfred Morris. We, uh, we put some additional thoughts up in our, our – we have an article about this on the Action Network, uh, Ian, Sean, and myself, where we kind of talk about how, how these holdouts affect the value of these guys, but we'll talk about it more here. Sean, I'm going to kick it to you first. How does the, the, the holdout in camp – because we're still, you know, over a month out from the season. So how does a holdout at this point for, for Ezekiel Elliott and for Melvin Gordon, uh, you know, how does it affect their fantasy value at this point? And how does that change as the holdout kind of drags on? Yeah, so it's it's definitely a volatile situation that you, you have to pay attention to daily, um, and it can change any minute now. Um, so, you know, taking Zeke first, I'm a little less concerned about that. Like I said, I still would draft him fourth overall. And then, you know, the other part is, you know, are there backs that you want to stash later on um, from the Cowboys to take advantage of this? And the answer before yesterday was no. It was a little too murky. Um, it you couldn't really tell how that backfield would shape up if Zeke misses time. But, you know, as you mentioned, they brought in Alfred Morris. So I think, um, you know, super light in drafts, you know, last two rounds, I think you could take a flyer on Morris just in case, especially if you take Zeke uh, fourth overall. Um, but I'm a little less concerned about that. I'm still assuming Zeke will report before week one. Um, but, you know, in terms of the Chargers situation, Melvin Gordon, I'm basically avoiding completely. Um, I think there there is a better chance that he misses some time this year. Uh, and, you know, the, we talk about all the time. The first three rounds, just try not to screw up. So I'm more confident in my ability to just pass on Gordon and just, you know, manage my team um, well to overcome that, I guess. But let someone else take on that risk. Draft someone else. Um, and then, you know, in the mid-rounds, Ian mentioned it. I think Austin Eckler is still too cheap right now. So it's even more reason to take him, even more reason to take Justin Jackson later on as a flyer, who, you know, if Gordon were to hold up the whole season, um, Justin Jackson is just an Austin Eckler injury, for, injury away from being a league winner. So I think I'm, I'm more looking at the backups for the Chargers, and I'm still drafting Zeke right now. It seems like Tony Pollard, Cowboys fourth-round pick, he's kind of being pigeonholed as more of their receiving back. That's why they brought in Alfred Morris. But I think Morris has to beat out Mike Weber, or at least they're going to have a competition for that potential early down role. I mean, Weber, big guy out of Ohio State. He's got ran a 4-4 at the Combine. I mean, not the most overworked guy either because he kind of was in a committee with uh, J.K. Dobbins for the last few years there. So, I mean, Morris is, you know, everyone's mind right now because he just got signed and everything. But I wouldn't underestimate him. We'll see how the preseason games work out. But I think Weber could ultimately win that job. Yeah, you know, it's tough. I think uh, last year I- – I was a little more low on Morris than, than a lot of people because he, he kind of – a similar situation happened, right? Uh, we were all excited about Jarek McKinnon. And, uh, you know, he goes down. Matt Breed is still there. Second year for him, Morris gets signed, and everyone's like, hey, Morris is going to be the guy. He's going to lead the team in, in everything. 
and it didn't really shape up. And I, I was on Team Brita. Um, this year, I, I think I'm more on, on, on Team Morris than, than anybody else in the, in the Cowboys' backfield. And that's simply because you have to kind of pay attention to the organizations. And the Cowboys are a team that they, they generally favor veteran presences. I think that goes right back to Jerry Jones. Um, you know, when, when, when they're on board with a rookie, it's, it's, a guy like, it's a guy like Zeke. Like, they're still taking running backs in the top five. This is that kind of team. They feel the need to get established guys. You know how many combined NFL carries that the guys behind Zeke on the running back depth chart had? 61 and 55 were the fullback. Uh, Jameez Alwale. So, uh, you know, Darius Jackson was a, a rookie last year. He didn't really get any work. I think Weber is a guy that could make the team, but I think Pollard, he was kind of brought in as, as a rookie as well to take some of the work, the load off Zeke on passing downs. I think you could think of him more like that old Lance Dunbar role. Um, I think Pollard will get increased reps if Zeke misses any time because Pollard is simply, you know, he's got some juice to him. He can move. Um, but I do think um, the fact that they gave Morris those 16 and a half carries uh, two years ago in that six game absence, that they brought him back for that specific reason for Zeke insurance, that if Zeke goes down, Morris is given, is getting 15 carries a game. And then Pollard is getting his third down role with maybe a little bit more on the, on, on, on top of that um, just to kind of get some more explosiveness in that backfield. But um, I, I think at this point, Morris is still going to be the guy. And I think Weber is in competition with Darius Jackson and I guess Jordan Chun, another second year uh, undrafted guy for probably that fourth running back spot that would move up to third then if, if Zeke was out and become active uh, on game days. But um, haven't heard too much buzz surrounding Weber um, in camp so far. So now's the kind of that time to monitor because yeah, if Weber, uh, you know, start, you start hearing more about Weber, then, then you start to pay attention because Morris, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of these two back, two down guys that really aren't explosive, uh, but, but it seems like the Cowboys are and they have the, they have the offensive line to kind of do it. I, I have knocked um, Elliott down to 14 games. He's one of the few running backs I even had at 15 um, to start because he, he has just proven durable throughout his career. He's a big guy, um, but I knocked him down to 14. Um, and, and Melvin Gordon, I actually have at 12 and a half games played uh, because if you look at the history of running back holdouts and uh, on Twitter, um, at Chris Raybon, I, a few days ago, I tweeted kind of a spreadsheet of all the running back holdouts that I could recall um, and kind of got crowdsourced some help there. But uh, it turns out that, that running back holdouts don't really cost many games for, for most guys. Like the median games missed is still zero among, you know, it's, it's still under two dozen sample size here, but the median missed games is still zero. Um, a couple of guys have missed all 16. That's kind of, that kind of bring the average to, 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 I think that two to three range, but um, usually you're expecting zero to two missed games. And the thing with Gordon is, um, and, and all these guys is that they've missed games more because of injury once they come back from that holdup. So kind of not practicing, not playing at all, kind of being away for the team. You can never be sure how that's going to affect a guy's durability once they do return. Uh, we kind of saw that with Le'Veon Bell in a different way a couple of years ago when he started the year slow. So uh, that's, that's where I kind of I'm at with the situation. But yeah, it, it is a really tough and, and volatile situation, something to keep um, tabs on all summer Long, uh, I do like Morris as a late on flyer. Um, you know, speaking of injuries and, and volatile situations, Todd Gurley, when he's on the field, he's probably the top running back in fantasy. Arthritic knee condition down the stretch last year wasn't the same guy. That was clear when he wasn't playing his usual role in the playoffs nor in the Super Bowl, um, seeding a lot of work to C.J. Anderson. Sean, where are you and Todd Gurley entering 2019? Um, so right now I have him right around 250 to 260 total touches. Um, I think, you know, some of the, the knee concern might have been just, you know, May, June overreaction. We didn't really have much else to talk about. But, you know, I, I think he should be relatively healthy to start the year. And they'll probably just, you know, manage his workload. They already talked about um, having Daryl Henderson be sort of the Chris Thompson role um, to start the year. So I think, 
you know, we'll just, we'll just see a little less in the touches department, but you know, he should still be pretty involved around the goal line. Um, I think with him, you still have that touchdown upside. So, you know, if we kind of overreacted um, from the initial scare, um, you know, he could have some value. Having said that, I still, like I said, I'm pretty risk averse in the first three rounds. So I think unless he falls to me sort of in the mid third, I'm, I'm kind of staying away. And, you know, Daryl Henderson, he, he does have some upside. Uh, he's fallen to closer to the round seven or round eight range. So I'm more looking to him um, just with my overall draft plan. Uh, I think it's, it's probably more likely I'll, uh, you know, target a guy like Henderson later on than kind of, um, roll the dice with Gurley early on. But I think it's something that we don't need to be as concerned about as we initially thought. Yeah. Ian, how are you feeling about Gurley entering 2019? Where are you drafting him? I got him as like my RB 13 right now, but I'm, I'm kind of more okay letting someone else take a chance on him. I'm, I like the Chris Thompson point by Sean. Cause I mean, in Sean McVay's last year uh, in Washington, we did see kind of more of a committee backfield. Chris Thompson had 62 targets and then Rob Kelly and Matt Jones uh, combined for around 260 carries together. So if we do see that again, I think it makes sense for Gurley to become kind of the more run first back and Henderson uh, being used a little bit more out of the backfield. But look, I mean, we, st- we still have two years of evidence of the Rams, you know, working as anyone's idea of a top five offense. So the lead back and that's still going to be valuable. But yeah, I mean, unless he falls to me uh, too far, I'm going to take guys like Dalvin Cook and uh, Nick Chubb ahead of him, I think, every time. Yeah, uh, you know, I do think that there was a little bit of that overreactive element, um, you know, to Gurley. But I also think there's a little bit of the opposite going on as well, um, where, you know, obviously, if Gurley's going to be healthy, it's going to be in camp and it's going to be now. And the question is, if you're taking this guy early on, is he still going to be healthy in in November and in those fantasy playoffs in in December? So I think there's kind of a give and take here where um, you can't chalk it all up to just an, an overreaction because I think some of it, uh, is warranted. That said, uh, on the flip side, you know, you knock him down touches wise, and I have him uh, at 196 carries and 38 receptions in 14 games. So still about 16, 17 touches per game. Uh, and even when you have him at that level, instead of the previous kind of 20 touch guy he's been, um, he still projects out uh, as my running back 10. So that shows you the kind of upside there. And I think it's up to you anyone drafting individually, whether you truly want to pull that trigger. Um, I tend to do it more in kind of unconventional league types where, for example, three-man best balls, a lot of times people are hung up on taking stud, stud tight ends and, and receivers, and you, you'll find Gurley in those last few rounds kind of sitting there. You know, I, I, and I think there's a lot less risk there. I'm um, in a traditional 12-team league. I am usually am passing on him um, because there is usually somebody that pulls a trigger on him even before that, that number 10 running back off the board that I have him. And then I also have – I think I feel a lot more comfortable with the stud receivers over Gurley because, again, receivers tend to miss about half as much time um, as running backs uh, do to injury. Uh, let's go on a little further down these running backs here because I know we already talked a lot about, about David Johnson, so I'm not going to spend too much time. I think we all kind of feel like he's right at or outside that top tier uh, of backs with, with Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. Um, his one year loss to injury was, was kind of a freak wrist issue. wasn't like he's been suffering a bunch of soft tissue stuff, and I think the spread offense opens it up and masks the O-line's deficiency. So let's just get right into another guy that – Used to be talked of in the same breath as Johnson at one point. Um, now it seems most people are, are kind of a, a bit lower on him, and that's Le'Veon Bell. Uh, of course, sat out all of last year in the contact track dispute with the Steelers and now um, on with the New York Jets. Sean, how are you feeling about Le'Veon Bell this year and his value relative to that, that top tier of, of running backs? Yeah, so this is where we, we definitely see you know, a drop 
in tiers. Um, I was going to say, I, I haven't really touched on David Johnson yet, but he's sort of in his own little mini tier. I call that basically fantasy purgatory. If, basically, if you have the fifth pick, you're getting David Johnson. So <laughs> um, and it, I guess unless somebody lets Zeke fall to you, but just I just think of the fifth pick being you get David Johnson and there's not really much you could do about it. There's no way you would go Johnson over Zeke at all, period. Not right now, just because I do think there is enough separating them. Um, if the Zeke thing, like, I think if he doesn't report by August 6th, that could indicate something. Um, you know, I'm going to look for markers like that. But right now, today, I'll still be drafting Zeke uh, fourth. But, you know, it, it breaks up right there. And um, I, I do like Bill. I think we can bank on a decent workload. You know, with Adam Gase, nothing's guaranteed. He's so used to running behind that good, you know, Steelers offensive line. He's going to the Jets. So, you know, I think it could be a concern for his patient style of running, you know, just waiting behind the line of scrimmage, waiting for a hole to open up. Those might not happen. So I think his efficiency could take a dip. And that's sort of where I think he has a he has a really low floor for these, you know, RB1 guys. But really, any one of these guys after David Johnson, you can make a case they have a low floor. I think the, uh, you know, the bottom half of the RB1s here, there's a lot of landmines or potential landmines. And uh, Le'Veon Bell could be one of those guys. But having said that, I almost don't even think about taking him because he's going where I um, typically just take, you know, the top, one of the top wide receivers. Um, I mentioned earlier, my, my plan this year is to load up on top stud wide receivers. And, you know, when Le'Veon Bell's going, if, you know, Kelsey or DeAndre Hopkins or Devontae Adams are there, I'm just passing up on Bell completely. But, uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear what your guys' thoughts on him because I've, I haven't been giving him much, but, you know, my projections for him are pretty solid. I still expect a decent-sized workload for him. Yeah, it's definitely a lower floor situation for him. I think the big question mark is what his target share is going to be like. I mean, this was a guy that won very few running backs that you could realistically, uh, you know, account for triple-digit targets on a year-by-year basis in Pittsburgh. Now he's got Sam Darnold, who, I mean, judging from the first-year sample size, I don't think he's going to be as willing to just dump it off as men. You know, Sam likes to – run around a little bit, make some plays, toss it deep to Robbie Anderson downfield. And now on that offense, we got Jamison Crowder in the slot, who I think is going to take away a lot of those kind of short dump-off type passes. Complicating matters further is the fact that Adam Gase, his entire coaching career, has run one of the slowest-paced offenses in the entire league. So it's going to be less efficient touches, and there's probably going to be fewer overall touches within the course of a game. I mean, volume's volume. Uh, Le'Veon's talking about getting, what, four or 500 carries this year he was joking about. So, uh, I mean, he's saying all the right things, apologizing to fantasy owners. I appreciate it. But, yeah, at this point in the draft, just give me one of those stud wide receivers instead. There's just – there's less of a um, low floor, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually – I think I'm a little more bullish on Bell uh, than you guys. I think that the number one concern for me is that pace, that pace of play. Um, because you, you kind of hit on it. Adam Gase, I mean, this guy will run at a snail-like pace, have the Jets projected uh, for the, the fewest offensive plays per game in the entire National Football League. I have him um, right at about 58 uh, offensive plays per game, which is, is extremely low and not, not, not something I tend to, to, to project often. So um, that, that is a concern. However, I think part of the reason that – they will run at a slow pace and be able to is because of the presence of a guy like Bell. When you have a running back, and I think this is why the Dolphins use Frank Gore over Kenyon Drake a lot on early downs, when you have a, a guy that can sustain and grind out yards, and Bell's not a big play guy. So he's getting, you know, four, five, six, ten yards 
he's not breaking a bunch of the 30, 40, 50 yarders. I think he's going to get a substantial workload on the ground um, in, in those first half of games, regardless of, of the situation. And then the second half, we all know what he can do through the air. And, and I do think uh, there is some concern that Darnold could be uh, turn into a check down artist, 28th in the league in, in deep ball accuracy last year, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, Quincy Anun was effectiveness decreased drastically uh, when running routes from the outside last year. He's going to have to do that all year. And then you brought in, uh, you, you know, you brought in Crowder to take up more targets in the slot. Robbie Anderson, I know Sean, Sean likes him, uh, is higher on him than, than myself. But, uh, you know, Anderson was, was outside the top 60 receivers in PPR um, for the first like 11 weeks of, of last season. Um, he, he's a guy running low percentage routes that if, if they're not there, um, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities uh, for, for Darnold to dump down. And I think we we're going to see Gase kind of build an offense um, centered around Bell. So I think he's the one investment that I feel comfortable making in the Jets, frankly, because I'm not high on Anderson for, for the reasons I mentioned. And, and I just really don't know about the upside um, for, for Crowder or Anunua and now Herndon with, of course, the tight end second year entering the season with a lot of, uh, you know, high hopes, but four game suspension for him. So uh, Bell is the guy I'm feeling pretty good about um, in the Jets and really the only guy. Let's talk about um, Bell's replacement because James Conner comes in year one in Pittsburgh, essentially renders Bell expendable, um, more or less. Huge season. Now he's kind of in that same tier where if you're, if you're picking to the middle of the end of the first round, you're going to have a chance to draft Conner. Sean, tell me why you're – or why not I should draft Connor over over like a receiver like Devontae Adams or, or DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, well, I'm not going to recommend that. But <laughs> if, <laughs> if they're off the board and Kelsey's off the board, I, I can make a case for taking James Connor because, you know, you're going to be able to pair him with one of the other top receivers. Um, I think he's, he's probably the running back in the bottom half of the RB1 tier I have the um, least concern about. Um, you know, he's a power back with receiving skills. So – I'm not too worried about Jalen Samuels and Benny Snell. I think there'll be more change of pace backs. And, you know, if Connor were to ever miss time, I think they would be a pretty even timeshare. Uh, but I think he's, he's still going to be the workhorse back we saw last year. You know, he's the guy I took in the last round of every draft last year. So it's, it's important to remind people, don't draft a kicker defense at the end of the draft. Just get two more running backs. Um, preferably, you know, guys um, that back up a running back who's in the holdout or prone to injury. Um, just take your chances on your bench with running back. Um, so it's a little disheartening that, you know, I have to spend a first round pick to get him this year when I got him in the last round last year. Uh, but it just goes to show how volatile running back is. You cannot um, just, you know, magically get a stud wide receiver one at the end of the draft or pick them up in season, but you absolutely can at running back. So that's that's basically my lesson on uh, taking wide receivers early on. But I still like Connor a lot this year. I don't think there's many concerns here. And, uh, yeah, he's, he's the safest uh, bet for the uh, back end of the RB1 tier. Ian, at what point in drafts are you taking Connor? I think he's right there at the end of that RB1 tier. I wouldn't blame you if you had guys like Mixon, Chubb, Cook, ranked slightly above him. But I think you're going to be pretty okay with any of those guys. Because, look, James Connor, we got to give him some credit for just – doing everything that you expect kind of elite running back to do. I mean, he got hurt in the last three weeks of last year, but in weeks one through 13, the only running backs that had broken at least 50 tackles were Connor, Saquon Barkley, and Kareem Hunt. I feel like a lot of people don't kind of think of Connor as being that dynamic of a back, but 
230 pounds with some moves like him, man, he's a tough guy to bring down. I don't think he's the same type of dynamic receiver as Le'Veon Bell. I know his yards per target and yards per reception are similar, but you just don't see him uh, doing the same types of things out of the slot. So I do worry that maybe a more uh, complete receiver like Samuels could uh, steal away some of his target share. But, I mean, I think we just got to assume Pittsburgh is going to feed their number one running back because that's all we've seen over the last five years, whether it be – Connor, Bell, Samuels. I mean, they gave Stephen Ridley like 20 touches when he was on his deathbed pretty much. So uh, Pittsburgh, the number one running back, gets the ball all the time. I don't expect that to change this year. I'm a little more worried, I guess, about the overall Pittsburgh offense than other people. I think losing A.B., losing Bell, losing these kind of walking mismatches in the, uh, throughout the formation could impact their offensive ceiling. But Connor's going to get fed the ball, and I think he's good enough to get playing production out of it. I, I would definitely blame somebody if they took Chubb or – or uh, who mixing over Con- like I-, I think Connor to me is in is a clearly a tier above those guys. I think you kind of hit on it with this is what Pittsburgh does. They feed their number one guy. I mean, talk about guys on their deathbed. D'Angelo Williams is essentially the top back in fantasy filling in for Bell. You know, I, I think some of the concerns with, with the Pittsburgh offense uh, are unfounded. I mean, uh, Antonio Brown averaged about 7.8 yards per target last year. Um, that's essentially what an average wide receiver in this league will average. Um, I think some of the touchdown potential that, that Brown brought with those, with those league-leading 15 scores goes away, but those, those, they could, they're going to move the ball, I, I still think. Um, they, they still have a lot of guys all over the field. Um, they're still deep at receiver, even with losing Brown. If anything, Brown not there to score 15 touchdowns or an automatic double-digit amount of touchdowns every year, that might just increase the probability that the running backs get an extra couple of touchdowns. I, I agree. I don't think Samuel, Jalen Samuels is a threat to Connor's workload because Samuels more, you know, he kind of he played tight end before. He's kind of a, a chess piece. He can move around, but almost profiles like a glorified, like a Marcel Reese type of player, um, glorified H-back who can play halfback than a true featured back and, and I think Snell is kind of like like the next Connor like maybe in a year now it, we're talking and, and Connor goes down uh, and then you're looking at Snell for for, for, for that same kind of workload that, that Connor got but um, this year I, I think Connor's clearly in a tier uh, on, the, on the right side of that drop off um, and, and I think if anything he's going a little bit underlooked I wouldn't especially in a non-full PPR I wouldn't hesitate to even take him um, before pretty much any receiver outside of I guess Hopkins and um and Adams, and even then, if you really th- feel like you need a running back and it's a deeper league, um, I-, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't feel uncomfortable uh, pulling the trigger. Let's talk about Joe Mixon. Uh, Sean, how are you feeling about Mixon? You know, he's been a guy who, you know, first year in the league, didn't quite get the workload we wanted. Last year, featured, but now the coaching staff overhauled. We did hear a report out of camp that, hey, don't forget about this guy, Giovanni Bernard. He's going to be back in, in, in more of a, uh, that, that pass catcher role. So any concerns about Mixon kind of being able to produce at the level uh, of guys like Connor um, and Todd Gurley? Yeah, I, I think there's some concern there. Um, definitely not talent-wise. I think he's, he's certainly one of the most talented backs. Um, just lost two offensive linemen. Uh, you know, rookie Jonah Williams, 11th overall pick, is on IR, uh, Clint Bowling. Uh, just retired. So, you know, the, the offensive line could be shaky. Um, and yeah, the Gio Bernard being heavily involved again this year is, is sort of a concern, especially a team like the Bengals who are projected to be more of a five to six win team. So they're going to have more negative game scripts. That's going to favor Bernard, unfortunately. So he just has a little more question marks. I'm kind of with Ian that I, I think Chubb is, you know, he's closer to the uh, mid-range RB1 tier and he, he sort of falls in this um, you know, low end RB1. And just, you know, where Joe Mixon goes, typically I'd like him if he falls later in round two, but that's, 
you already have a setback um, when you have those draft picks. So he's a guy that even if he falls towards round two, I'm still taking a top receiver. But like Mixon as a running back, but just the situation um, isn't ideal. And, you know, they drafted Trevion Williams and Rodney Anderson. Uh, Rodney Anderson should start the year on the pup, so not worried about him. But it was interesting that they took um, two, you know, highly touted backs like that. Um, so, you know, just a crowded backfield, um, just even more of a concern for Mixon. Yeah, I think a lot of it with the, with the two the pair, uh, you know, day three picks at the position was, you know, they did lose uh, Mark Walton and, you know, they, they do yeah. need some depth there. Running back is an important part of their offense. I mean, let's be serious. A.J. Green goes down every year. Tyler Eifert goes down. <laughs> they also took a, a, essentially what amounts to a blocking tight end in round two. So yeah. <laughs> it seems like they're just building depth. Um, I mean, it, it, maybe it's just the dumpster fire of the league. In 20, I mean, they don't – not a lot of it necessarily sounds like the sharpest things for them to be doing. So they are on, you know, just, just, just jumps the fire alert. Um, Ian, you know, I, I know you are high on Chubb. So I guess talk to me about Chubb versus Mixon um, in, in that kind of end of the, uh, that this RB1 tier and, and Dalvin Cook, if you have any thoughts on him as well. Yeah, they're right there together. So the thing with Mixon, I mean, we talk about Giovanni Bernard being involved again. I mean, all right, outside of David Johnson, Zeke, Saquon, and McCaffrey, Every running back in the league pretty much plays fewer than 80% of their offensive snaps. Mm -hmm. So even though Giovanni is going to be involved again, I mean, Mixon can still have one of the top, you know, six to eight biggest workloads in the league. And that's pretty much what we saw last year. He played at least 60% of the Bengals snaps in all but one game. So, yeah, you know, if it is a blowout, maybe, maybe uh, Gio would be out there a little bit more getting some targets. But I don't think we should underestimate the uh, chances that Mixon really takes a big step forward as a receiver. He's got the ability to do it. We saw it at Oklahoma. We've seen flashes over these two years, but they've never quite committed uh, to him in that way. And, look, the new head coach, Zach Taylor, spent the last two years in Los Angeles. And I think he saw for firsthand, you know, what that can do to a player. Todd Gurley only had 84 targets in 2015 and 2016. He had 168 under Taylor McVay uh, the next two seasons. You know, Mixon only had 89 the last two seasons. So uh, Mixon has that ability to take a big step forward uh, in the receiving game. And last year, once he returned from injury in week five and played from week five to week 17, he was a PPR RB6. And, I mean, that was playing half the year with, with a Bengals offense. That was, uh, you know, pretty much uh, the land of the living dead because half their team was hurt. So. I do think he has a kind of underrated floor and his ceiling, like Sean said, you know, is one of the most talented running backs in the league. So he can do big things there at the same time, Nick Chubb. I mean, if, you know, maybe the Browns won't reach these Super Bowl expectations everyone's talking about, but I just have such a hard time believing they're not at the very least going to have a very good offense. And Chubb's going to be the RB one there. I mean, he's one of the freakiest athletes in the entire league, regardless of positions. Uh, we saw him work as a PPR RB eight once Carlos Hyde was traded last season. Uh, obviously, Kareem Hunt coming back isn't going to be great, but he's still guaranteed zero dollars. I think Kareem Hunt's just going to take the Duke Johnson role because I don't see a scenario where if Chubb is balling out the first half of the season, they're just going to take him off the field for a guy that you know hasn't even taken a snap for them yet. So, uh, and then lastly, Dalvin Cook. Big thing here, guys. Gary Kubiak is now the assistant head coach in Minnesota, and he's an offensive advisor. His RB one averaged two hundred ninety one touches per year from nineteen ninety five two thousand sixteen had a top 12 RB and PPR points per game in 14 of those seasons. So Gary Kubiak knows how to create fantasy football RB1s. And Dalvin Cook, when he's been on the field, has been anyone's idea of an RB1. So, uh, you know, any of those guys, I'm happy to have, honestly. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to Chubb real quick, I, I do it because I think there is some concern that, hey – uh, Kareem Hunt, when he comes back, he, he might be the RB1. I mean, I see Kareem Hunt going in the top 36 running backs, which is kind of crazy considering he's missing half the season. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think Chubb is that RB one regardless there. I, I don't think there's any debate uh, about that. And this is one of those teams. If they're as good as we think they're going to be with Baker Mayfield taking another step forward in year two. And of course, you Jackson being on, they have, they have pieces on, on defense as well. They're going to be able to support multiple running backs, even if Chubb maybe loses a carry or two. But I, I see him getting four touches a quarter at the minimum. Um, so, so that's 16 a game. He actually jumps up to my RB7 in standard league when touchdowns factor in uh, a bit more. Uh, Joe Mixon is my RB8. Um, Cook, I'm, I'm a little lower on. So, Sean, I want to get your thoughts on Dalvin Cook because I, I, I agree with Ian. I, I think there's no doubt that, that, that Kubiak wants to give Cook a heavy load, but I think they've always wanted to give Cook a heavy load. I mean, they fired their OC for, for, for not running enough yeah. last year. Um, can Cook handle it? Like you said, they fired uh, John Flippo, and then Cook just went off in the final three weeks. So, I mean, if Cook is healthy, absolutely I want him. We just don't know if he could stay healthy. So I don't like spending high draft capital um, at such a volatile position. So I, I usually don't take on that risk. But, yeah, absolutely. If Cook is healthy, he's probably a lock to be RB1. And, you know, it kind of goes with um, Nick Chubb where, um, you know, I think Nick Chubb's going to have a great start to the season. You, you could be a bit concerned. Uh, about Hunt returning, especially it's going to be during the fancy playoffs. Um, if either one of these players gets off to a hot start, uh, try to trade him. Um, especially, you know, if Chubb gets off to a hot start, I think he could be a top five back, you know, by week six. Try to flip him for if, if any one of the top five backs is struggling or something, you might be able to flip him for a top five back. Um, and then you don't have to worry about Kareem Hunt's return, which I think, you know, he could lower his value just a little bit during the most important time of the fantasy playoffs. So that's, that's just one strategy you can think of if the cream hunt um, returns a concern to you at all um, is, you know, just trying to flip these guys while their stock's super high early in the season. Yeah. And I mean, I think the same could be said probably even more so for Dalvin Cook, because if there's any yeah. time where he's going to go off, it's going to be the early part of the season and, and they probably, and if he gets hurt, it's probably going to be because they did try to give him right? exactly, exactly. five touches a game. Cause that's something similar. I think was it his first, his rookie year. He was getting like, I think three of those four games, he was getting over well, like 25 touches and, and then, you know, injures himself, um, does run a little bit high, you know, pad level wise will expose him to some injuries. So, you know, I, I have him, He's one of those guys where, yeah, he's not getting the full, uh, you know, baseline games played for me at running back, usually about 14 and a half to 15. I have him at 14 games, still have him for 242 touches. So you can kind of do the math and see that I have him getting a pretty substantial touch here when he's in there. But um, 14 is on the low end of games played um, as far as it goes with my running back projections. This was a really, uh, you know, informative convo. I just wanted to kind of, you know, love talking to you guys about this. Before we get out of here, um, last question, just – we talked about the top 12 and, and just give me one guy. And I know we talked about some sleepers already, but one guy drafted outside the top 12 that you think has the best chance to finish inside the top 12. And let's do it like kind of like not necessarily like a, a just a straight up handcuff, like a Chase Edmonds who if DJ goes down, obviously, but, but a guy that is being drafted kind of, you know, that the next couple of tiers, 24 to 36, that has the best shot at finishing um, as a, as a top 12 guy. Uh, well, I took your question pretty literally. So I had my odds on favor for that being Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> just because that that stat, you know, top 12 finish implies, it usually implies they played a full season. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been saying it nonstop that Derrick Henry is the most likely back to actually play all 16 games. And I think I may have jinxed him because he's been in a walking boot and he's, he's out for like the next two weeks. Of course. So, you know, I have so many shares of Henry that I'm retiring that right now. 
So I'm going to go with the other guy I have a ton of shares of is uh, on Johnson. Um, I was sort of anticipating theoretic um, getting cut. So I think right now, um, you know, he's, he has massive upside in the, you know, pass catching department. So I'm assuming we're talking half PPR here. Um, I think he has the potential if he stays healthy to finish in the top 12 pretty easily. Ian, how about you? Josh Jacobs. Look, yes. when they drafted him, their GM, Mike Mayock, even said, this is a three-down back, and he even cited his pass protection. I mean, only Rashad Penny and Christian McCaffrey among first-round running backs since 2014 have had fewer than 200 touches in a season. You know, a little bit different situations for them with injuries and different backs on the roster. Jacobs has a three-down ability. Chris, like you said earlier, was hardly a workhorse at Alabama, so, I mean, he, he can afford to have, you know, a ton of – touches for as long as he's going to be in a Raider uniform and yeah I mean the one thing we've seen over the years is draft round is really highly correlated with a rookie year success at the running back position specifically so maybe it doesn't happen right away I'm curious to see how involved uh, Jalen Richard is kind of like with Detroit if Richard wasn't there it'd be a whole lot easier for me to project uh, Jacobs like it is now with Johnson and no Riddick but I think at the end of the day you don't use a first round uh, uh, pick out of running back unless you plan on giving him a feature workload. Absolutely. I'm with you there on Jacobs. I think Jacobs and just a lot of those guys in that top 20 have a, a really good, you know, the Freemans, the Max have a really good chance at, at kind of cracking that top 12. It probably just comes down to, to touchdown luck. Um, for me, since, since you already uh, stole my thunder with Jacobs, I'm going to go a little bit more outside because, and this might be a surprise to people, especially if, when you're talking PPR, but Chris Carson, I think, you know, a lot, there's a lot of love for Rashad Penny. And I don't think that changes anything with Carson. Um, this is a guy who, you know, from the third, you know, the first couple weeks of the season, he got a, a, only a, a little over a, do, a half dozen touches. Starting in week three, this was a guy that was getting 17 plus touches every single week, essentially. And, and now you have Mike Davis gone. And let's remember, Rashad Penny caught exactly one pass on third and fourth down last year. So Carson, better pass blocker than Penny, uh, you know, more trusted in that passing game. He you know, finishes the PPR RB, uh, half PPR RB 14, uh, despite missing two games and only catching 20 passes all year. So I think he has some pass catching upside where even if he adds, you know, 10, 15 catches to that, maybe one a game to where he's catching now two a game instead of one a game, you know, this guy has tremendous upside because Seattle still needs to run the football to keep that pressure uh, off their defense, number one, which has lost a lot of talent over the years. And off their pass offense, which is in transition, still a great quarterback in Russell Wilson, but working in some new guys like DK Metcalf um, at receiver to replace, you know, Doug Baldwin has moved on, Trent Richardson, uh, excuse me, Paul Richardson and Jimmy Graham all gone. So uh, I think Carson has tremendous upside. He's going to be a horse, kind of like the poor man's Henry, where um, you could look up in a given week and Carson could have 25 carries just because they need to ride him. So um, that's a guy I think could easily crack uh, the top 12. Thanks a lot, guys. This was uh, another great Action Network podcast um, for you guys out there. Again, we'll be doing a whole other podcast on the running backs outside the top 12. Um, so stay tuned for that after this one uh, shows up in your podcast app. Sean, tell them where people can find you on Twitter and anything else that you uh, might be working on that you want them to check out. Yeah, you can find me at the underscore oddsmaker on Twitter. Um, and I'm actually doing my tiers for redraft league. So, you know, I'm going to be rolling out my QB running back wide receiver tight end. And then my kicker defense tiers where I tell you don't draft them. Um, so look, look for those coming out next week. Yeah. And Ian, how about you? Let them know where they can find you. On Twitter at iHeart, it's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z and uh, should be up by end of Tuesday, early Wednesday. Hall of Fame game breakdown, everyone. We got DFS analysis and some betting tips as well. So make sure you check that out before. 
the Broncos take on the Falcons. Yes, looking forward to all of that. I am Chris Raybon. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon, R-A-Y-B-O-N. I am working on a, a preseason DFS tips um, article to kind of more general to just take you through the entire preseason. Also working on, I know I've got a lot of questions about this, the uh, three key offensive coordinator tendencies for every team in the league. So be on the lookout for that as well. And of course, on Sirius Radio, 10 to 11, Wednesday through Friday morning, taking all of your fantasy football questions and talking fantasy all hour. So check that out. This has been another edition of the Action Network podcast. Until next time, take care.